Welcome to the next in the series of Call Insights podcasts. My name is Ed Reed, Head of Research, and today I'm joined by Robert Buckley, Head of Retail, and Anna Moss, uh, team lead in our retail team. Uh, today our topic is going to be some reflections on the energy retail market, uh, which has certainly been a turbulent time over the last uh, year or so. Um, but before we get to that, I just thought I'd ask our team here, what is the current state of the market? Who wants to answer that? Well, I'll take that. Uh, Ed, thank you very much. And it's good to be here with you on the podcast. There's a lot of media about the retail energy market and it has been over very many years. A lot of it's been good knockabout stuff uh, uh, that gives people the impression that it's a little bit of a carve up. In fact, nothing could be further than the truth. Uh, energy supply competition is at its most intense that it's ever been in the 25 or so years that we've had this market. So how, 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 do, you, how do you come to that uh, conclusion then when you say yes? I mean, you would have thought from, from the press that it's all, it's all doom and gloom. So, so can you perhaps unpack a little bit more why, why, why you say it's so competitive at the moment? Well, there are a number of ways that you can measure competition and, and it's very easy to get abstracted into numbers of suppliers or measures of market share or or measures of market concentration. But I think the thing that really comes through is the way that people are choosing to engage in the market, that we're seeing more switching both from suppliers to different suppliers and within suppliers uh, by consumers as they seek to get the best value for money for themselves. We conti- I, I know we're going to talk a little bit later on about which consumers engage in the market and why, but, but taken as now, looking back through where we've come from, the market is at its most competitive. And how many are, are there out there then? How many suppliers are there at, at the moment, do we think? So at the end of October, we had around 129 fully licensed suppliers across the business and uh, domestic markets. Um, around 160 in total, including the white label uh, suppliers that have come in as well. So it's quite easy when you look at that number, as Robert says, to say there's a lot of competitors in the market. Um, Particularly in the domestic market, though, we've started to see competitors differentiating from each other, which is quite a difficult thing to do in a market where the consumers are using a similar volume of energy each. It's delivered in a fairly similar way. But we've started to see some of these new competitors coming in and really changing the way that energy is delivered, so through smart prepayment perhaps, or by driving technology offers in the market through battery storage or um, through solar panels. And you mentioned white label there as well. I mean, just, just so we're all clear, what, what, what is white label? White label is a supplier offering its essentially its back office, its pricing, its regulatory services, maybe its customer service people as well, to others who want to use their brands to sell to customers. So Robin Hood Energy is a licensed supplier owned by Nottingham City Council, and it provides its services to many other local authorities around the country who wish to sell energy to their local stakeholders. So we've got white label providers in Leeds and Liverpool and London and various other places around the country. Is it fair to say that 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 model is something that's being more favoured now than it has done previously if, if entities are looking to have some sort of position in the retail market? 
Yeah, certainly. There's a lot more companies looking entering uh, entering the market now through a white label provider. A lot of those are local councils, um, but also private companies as well. We have seen other companies coming in through white label options, and it's quite a change compared to previously where we would have seen suppliers either coming through a fully licensed option, setting up their own internal systems, or using a, an off-the-shelf supplier that had been set up by another company, first of all. Really, I mean, what you've said so far then is 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 actually the picture in some regards is quite quite rosy. So there's still a high number of suppliers in the market. Entry still continuing, although perhaps the kind of nature of how that supply uh, is formulated is kind of tilting a uh, little bit. It is changing, but the market has, has always changed mm. as technology has developed and people have come in and innovated and, and, and in terms of getting customers then, I mean, I, I think my understanding is that in terms of customer switching, I think you've already alluded to it, is a 10-year high, is that fair to say? Um, it's about 20% of household contract switch. Um, yeah, so that would be capturing external switches, so switches between suppliers. If you start to include switching internally, so people changing or actively changing their tariffs with their own supplier or changing their payment methods, and that figure rises quite a lot. And in terms of the kind of sales channel, there's been emergence of, of, of new ways of reaching customers, new sort of, again, on that innovation point, it's not supply per se, but there's sort of new models whereby uh, parties can offer a service that it, I guess is, is kind of trying to take the hassle out of switching. Yeah, definitely. We've seen lots of the newer entrants and existing players in the market starting to take advantage of both those new switching methods that you've, you've referenced there, but also ones that have been around a long time. Um, over the last few years, there's been a real focus on online switching through price comparison websites. But then over the last 12 to 18 months or so, there have been the emergence of automated switching companies. Um, and these are companies that are looking to, as you say, take the hassle out of switching um, let people sign up and they will choose a tariff for you and they will automatically switch you to a new tariff um, when you can earn a certain amount of savings or at the end of your contract. So some of the newer companies have come in and, and really engaged in that process. But some of them have also gone back to a more traditional route through um, telesales or through face-to-face -face sales, which is quite effective at targeting specific customer groups. So if you wanted say to um, draw out the prepayment customer segment or customers of a particular supplier, you could then segment your customer base and, and target those people in particular. So a lot of change, a lot of kind of positive signs, but I think nonetheless, um, it, uh, 2018 has been really quite unprecedented, hasn't it, I think, in, in terms it, of what we've seen? It's, it's, it has been very volatile, Ed. And I, I think there's a further thing just to add to what Anna was saying, was that we've talked about the direct effect of entry in the domestic market. There's also been a very significant indirect effect on the incumbent suppliers mm. who've had to respond in terms of the price and quality of proposition that they have, have offered to the market. And a lot of that response, in a way, has triggered some of the turbulence that we've seen in 2018 because the market in general, and I would include business in this as well, has got a lot, lot more intensely competitive. Uh, and I think... It's here also useful to, to distinguish between the actively switched market, where all the entrance suppliers are by definition, 
and the non-switched market where people don't want to or are unable to engage. Our politicians have been very focused on the latter part of the market. A lot of the competitive intensity has come from the former. Perhaps then, are you suggesting or implying that that because the competition perhaps in terms of customer base is represented by that 20 odd percent that are actively engaged in the market that's where uh, those newer players have to compete and as those numbers have increased it's just one of the outcomes is this competition has become fiercer Um, so, so is that you know sounds to me then that's one of the main drivers to perhaps why we've seen such a high level of, 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 of unfortunately, of supplier failure this year. Um, and um, I haven't got the facts in front of me, actually. How many how many suppliers have ceased trading so far? Um, so in 2018, specifically, we've had um, 10 suppliers have ceased trading. Um, seven of those have been through the supplier of last resort mechanism. Um, and we've had three trade sales. Begs the question then, I guess. I mean, we've already sort of said that perhaps fierce competition um, is a consequence of you know some of the models just aren't sustainable but but you know what are the other drivers that you know we observe perhaps that have have, have kind of resulted in this well we've seen of course rising wholesale energy prices through most of 2018 and that's directly come through to consumers in their bills Uh, we've had a number of increases in standard variable tariffs by the large suppliers and people on the alternative fixed tariffs have will will have seen rises of two or three hundred pounds a year based on a typical household uh, consumption so it's been much more difficult and more volatile for people to manage the cash flows that come into their businesses and so I'm sure that is one reason why Ofgem has had to run so many of its supplier of last resort auctions. And and, and I suppose a topic that's been uh, covered quite extensively uh, recently is is obviously wholesale prices make up a you know the single largest element of the end bill. That there are other costs in there um, in the bill as well, which uh, uh, have led to well yeah. costs for policies not being recovered, haven't they? Costs of policy, particularly for the cost direct costs of renewable subsidies are recovered through the electricity bill in this country and they've been increasing over a number of years by 10 to 15%. It would appear to me that there seems to be more of our domestic suppliers finding times tough at the moment than those that supply to businesses. Um, you got any views on why that may be the case? Any kind of characteristics of what's different between those markets which may explain that? Yeah, sure. So we'd say partly it reflects the the nature of the tariffs that have been offered by um, cost-competitive new entrants that have come in. Lots of them have offered low-priced fixed tariffs. And even in the instances where they've offered variable tariffs, they'd have to give 30 days notice to a customer for a price increase. So the ability to change your tariff for an existing customer um, can be quite challenging in the domestic markets. And in the, in the B2B market, pricing, or business market, pricing can be instantaneous. If, if, if you're a large consumer and you have a quotation for electricity supply, it can be literally withdrawn at any time. I guess another key difference between the household and business supply markets is that domestic suppliers are subject to price caps being introduced 
last year, I think it was, wasn't it, 2017 with the prepayment. And, and of course, we've now got, uh, or will have very soon, uh, more customers covered by even more price caps. And I think some of the press statements have sort of suggested from some parts of the market that this has been an added stress and strain as, as, as well on some of the suppliers. Um, maybe, I don't know if you've got any reflections on, on price caps or... Uh, what that I, th- I think the well, firstly the first thing to say about price caps is they reflect long-standing political concern that disengaged customers in some way have been overpaying uh, mainly to the big six mm. uh, and we've been through 10 years really of looking at the way that prices are set for consumers that don't switch and it's culminated in the price uh, default price cap that's going to be in place from the 1st of January next year. We started, of course, with a prepayment cap in April 2017, as you you said, Ed, and we've seen uh, some quite noticeable changes since then. The prepayment prices have now stand below where standard credit prices are, so cash, check, and direct debit prices for people who don't switch. So I think there's potentially a further incitement for a politician to intervene in the market when they see something like that. And something that was widely expected from the price cap um, from lots of parties in the industry is that it'll have an impact on engagement in the domestic market more broadly and that it might dissuade people from switching because the amount of savings they'd make on their tariff would be more limited. Um, It's something that has been referenced in the prepayment market from suppliers that have worked in that area already. Um, but we, we would say that we, at the moment we have seen um, the credit market and direct debit market contracting in terms of price and congregation around a certain area as lots of suppliers have looked to put their price up recently reflecting um, wholesale price rises. But we've also seen, as you've said earlier, the highest switching rate we've recorded in a very long time. So at the moment, it doesn't seem like that's having a huge impact. But of course, having the security of a price cap might might make a, a big difference. So I guess that's something that, that we'll be keeping an eye on uh, uh, for next year as, as the number of customers are you know, protected by, by price caps. Um, so that's obviously been one of the major interventions in, in the retail market, the, the, the B2C market. Um, but there's a lot of other activity going on. So this isn't the end, is it? So Ofgem and government are continuing to develop other initiatives or, or, or interventions uh, specifically for, for, for the energy retail space. Um, can you just give us a kind of quick summary of, of, of what those are at the moment? Well, the regulator has recently launched a, a supplier licence review. So it's going to be looking at the controls around new suppliers entering the markets and what the requirements of those companies will be, um, both financially and in terms of their plan for customer engagement um, and customer service. But it's also said it will be looking at ongoing parties in the market as well um, in terms of doing more monitoring. And in particular, it pulled out uh, monitoring of credit balances um, and how suppliers use credit balances as something that it wants to keep a broader or closer eye on. And and I think it's it was picked up something around the you know what we spoke about earlier about the financial viability of, of, of some of the supplies in the market because I guess that there's probably some feeling in some quarters that um, you know the, the supply of large resort works well to protect the customer but I guess where there's outstanding costs or risk then 
those that are left have to pick it up, which uh, is, is perhaps part of that. I is think that... it's an interesting discussion to be had about the way that Ofgem runs its supplier of last resort auctions for supplies that leave the market. Clearly, mm. it's imperative that customers continue to receive energy regardless of whether their supplier is viable at any point in time or not because energy is a is a good with huge social uh, value it's it's a it's a part of essential part of modern life and supplier of last resort has been a way that we could try and manage the risk of failure which there should always be in a competitive mm. market with that role of uh, the imp- the importance of energy as, as a fundamental uh, for modern life. Where we've landed at the moment is that the costs in, um, in terms of uh, a failed supplier to an individual consumer are that their tariff might change. If they're in credit with their supplier, then that credit will be protected. And that's a decision that Ofgem took uh, two or three years ago. Uh, any costs of that, I think in the first instance, Ofgem likes the incoming supplier to take on, but there is provision for those costs to essentially be funded through a levy on the industry, which in the end means on all other customers. And I think there's a discussion to be had around the ways that people might be pricing into the market to attract customers especially if they're pricing and taking money from customers in advance of delivery of, of the energy. It's, uh, it's not a very well appreciated fact that a lot of the entrance suppliers have switched the direct debit model from month in arrears, as the industry has traditionally practiced, to month in advance. And clearly if your supplier fails and you've paid in advance, then without any protection you would lose your money. This probably then plays into perhaps we heard from Greg Clark uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was, uh, in an energy policy speech. And one of the comments in there was that uh, there would be a joint off-gem uh, Bayes review of the retail markets uh, for 2019. And we obviously don't know what the terms of reference uh, for that are, but um, given given what we've seen over the last year, uh, I suspect that many, including us, will have something to say. Uh, uh, including, oh no, not again, Mr. <laughs> Uh, well, we're preempting what we're going to say there, Robert, but maybe that's the uh, the opener. Um, well, I'm going to be a bit unfair now then, uh, as our retail team and our retail market experts. Um, 2019 is fast approaching. Um, what do you what do you think? What, what what what's the outlook then, perhaps for 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 next year? A uh, bit unfair, I appreciate, but uh, um, we'll come back in twelve months' time to see how right or wrong we were. But uh, Anna, do you want to take a stab at uh, what you think uh, we might we might observe in twenty nineteen? Yeah, I think at the moment we're expecting that um, we might continue to see further consolidation. We've obviously seen a lot of the impacts of wholesale price volatility, some of those policy costs coming through. Um, and, and really affecting some of those smaller companies in the market at the moment. And we're expecting that might continue to move through into perhaps the start of next year. And um, beyond that, I'd say even further out from 2019, we're probably looking at suppliers differentiating themselves more from each other. Those that are looking um, at the future at things like electric vehicles, changes to the way that we use heat on the energy system. Um, We'd expect to see lots of companies start to position themselves around that in the way that they work with car manufacturers, for example. 
And that's an interesting one, actually. We haven't spoken about in terms of, of some of the other, po- but I guess the positives is that um, the, 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 some of the investment in the existing supply community from perhaps the non-usual suspects, um, and, you know, they will, they will make their cases for, for different reasons. But is it fair to say that perhaps some of that is around some sort of strategic positioning for that kind of smarter market we're always hoped for in the, uh, the next decade around you know, uh, electrification of transport, heat, what, what, what have you? Um, what do you think, Robert? I think, I think we, can, we can see the smart metering programme is making progress. I, I think there's a lot of contention about exactly how much progress has been made, how effective it's been and how much faster it could or should go. But I think the SMART programme will enable a lot more innovation in the propositions that can go to the consumer. I think we will then have a debate about whether they should go to Mm. the consumer. I think a discussion about fairness of outcomes is going to be a very important one. Should the energy system be changed to the benefit of those that can afford to want it changed to the detriment of those that, that maybe can't, I think is, is is an important question that we're going to ask. I think that will feed in a lot in the debate about the supply hub. Mm-hmm. Uh, suppliers uh, do a lot of voluntary work. Uh, some people would say maybe not enough uh, to support their vulnerable consumers if we, because of the institutional frameworks that we have. If we change those institutional frameworks, do we then change the role of the supplier in the wider social sense? I think there's a lot, there's a lot of debate to be had there. A lot of entrance suppliers, in, in, in our opinion, find it something of a shock. The, the expectations that are on them in how they mm. must deal and relate, particularly to domestic customers, but even to small micro-business customers as well. So I, I think if we're kind of looking for, for big trends in retail energy, this debate around fairness will be an important one. It chimes into the wider debate about ownership because some of the, the motivations to ask the questions other side. So plenty of food for thought then. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, that's been a really interesting uh, discussion on the retail market. Um, of course, if any listeners want to uh, find out any more information about our services or uh, get in touch with the guys, please visit our website. Uh, we'll be able to provide more information to you about uh, this podcast, our future podcast, or indeed our intelligence services, consultancy services, and training services. Thank you guys. Thank you for the invite.